Hello, I'm Alec Avdikov, and welcome to the life and times of Frederick the Great. Welcome to September, everyone. So, an interesting thing happened after recording my last episode. On my Twitter, I tweeted a military historian for a concept of a book that I had, similar to what I talked about in the last episode. Essentially, it would be about Hans Joachim von Zieten and the growth of the Hussars in Prussia. I literally have no idea how to write a book or how to get the research materials I need. So, if anyone can speak German and is willing to help me, I would be forever grateful. Please contact me through my email in the description below. I need all the help I can get. Also, here's a reminder to follow me on my social media, including Twitter and Instagram. I also have a Patreon account in case you want to hear my podcasts ad-free. I'm excited to see you all there. Links to all of these are in the show notes below. One last thing. Be sure to give me honest reviews and feedback from wherever you listen. Thank you all for the support. Now, let's move on to the recap of last month's episode. So in the previous episode, we discussed the Prussian cavalry structure with its three main types, heavy, medium, and light. We also discussed how Frederick reformed the cavalry after the First Silesian War to focus on speed rather than strength. The cavalry, all in all, performed horribly in the First Silesian War and needed to learn how to swim or they would sink. And now for something completely different. So for today's episode, I debated whether to discuss the British entry into the War of Austrian Succession or the, a mini-biography of Voltaire. Based on the title, you can probably guess what I chose to talk about. I'm going to split this into two parts with the history of the British Isles from the Glorious Revolution until the end of the Jacobite Rebellion of 1715 in the first part, and in the second part, it is going to discuss the reign of King George II and the British entry into the War of Austrian Succession. The main reason we care about Britain is that during the course of the 1700s, Britain became involved in wars on the continent multiple times. Britain and France continued to be at war off and on throughout the story of our podcast. Britain had been neutral at the start of the War of Austrian Succession, and I wanted to explore British history during the early modern period of history. So Britain, as a nation, did not exist until the Act of Union in 1707, when England and Scotland agreed to unify into the United Kingdom of Great Britain. However, this is not where our story begins. Let's go back to 1660, two years after the Lord Protector of England, Oliver Cromwell, had died. In 1660, Charles II took back the throne of England and ruled over England, Ireland, and Scotland until 1685. There was a disputed succession between Charles's brother, James, and the Duke of Monmouth, who was also named James and was the illegitimate son of Charles II. This rebellion ended at the Battle of Sedgemoor, and the Duke of Monmouth lost. Charles's brother then became James II. James II was originally supported in England despite the fact that he was a Catholic in a population that was dominated by Protestants. James II, therefore, wanted Catholicism to be legally accepted as a religion in England. 
England's parliament refused this, and James threatened violence against the parliament to pass this through. Another threat to parliament was that James II's wife gave birth to a son, thus securing an heir to the throne. This was the straw that broke the camel's back, and members of the English parliament wrote to the Dutch Stadtholder of the United Provinces for a plan to depose James II. William of Orange, the Dutch Stadtholder, saw that if James II caused further legislation that aided Catholics in England, then James II would ally himself with Louis XIV's France. If England and France allied against the Dutch, it would be game over for the Netherlands. Therefore, with a force of roughly 15,000 soldiers, William of Orange crossed the English Channel and landed in southern England. The invasion was unopposed, and the majority in England supported the invasion. James II would flee to France. James would try one last time to take back power and landed in Ireland in 1690. The Battle of the Boyne occurred between Williamite and Jacobite forces on July 1st, 1690 with a Williamite victory. This made William of Orange King William III of England. Parliament, however, only allowed William to be crowned if he would accept their list of demands. William would also be the co-regent alongside his wife, Mary. See, Mary was a product of James II's first marriage and would keep the line of inheritance unbroken for the English royal family. Therefore, the reign would be one in which co-monarchs ruled. William and Mary would rule England, Scotland, and Ireland together. Therefore, on April 11, 1689, the couple was coronated as King and Queen of England, Scotland, and Ireland. However, when William of Orange seized power in England, it made Louis XIV so mad at the English and Dutch that he would start the Nine Years' War. This war would be absolutely ruinous for the finances of all sides. This was also the beginning of a period in which France and England would be at war off and on until 1815. Some have even dubbed it the Second Hundred Years' War. The Nine Years' War, however, lasted until 1697, and there was peace in Western Europe. That is, until Charles II of Spain died in 1700. Why does it always go back to a Habsburg? Anyway, this started the War of Spanish Succession, and Britain would enter it in 1702. Parliament would slowly take more power from the monarchy due to the poor finances on the throne. William also died in 1702 and would be succeeded by Queen Anne. She had poor health for most of her life. She made the fateful decision of appointing the Duke of Marlborough for the commander of British forces on the continent against the French. Another important decision made during Queen Anne's reign was the Act of Union in 1707, which united the crowns of England and Scotland. This created the nation known as the United Kingdom of Great Britain. Britain would also leave the War of Spanish Succession in 1713. In 1714, Queen Anne died and would be succeeded by George I from the House of Hanover. This begins the confusing situation during which the United Kingdom was unified with an electorate of the Holy Roman Empire. King George I actually spoke German and could not speak English very well, if at all. However, storm clouds were brewing 
as King George was coronated. In the Duchy of Lorraine, the son of James II of England was planning to take power away from George I and cross the English Channel. James Edward Stuart, the man attempting to seize power from King George I, had some political support from the Tories inside England, but his main support base was in Scotland. After all, the Act of Union stripped the Scottish Parliament of the ability to make foreign policy. Scotland did not want to be in a subordinate role in which they are playing second fiddle to England. Great Britain even abolished the Privy Council of Scotland. But who are the Tories, you may ask? See, a Tory was an English member of Parliament that was deeply in favor of the power of the monarchy. They were often aristocrats who owned a considerable amount of land and looked down on the merchants in England. In a general election in 1715 for Parliament, the Tories were elected out of power and the Whigs then took power until George III became king in 1760. The Whigs were a voting bloc in Parliament that believed in lessening the control of the monarchy and strengthening that of the Parliament. In 1715, they got rid of almost all the Tories in places of power. It has been argued that, quote, if milder measures had been pursued, it is certain that the Tories would never have embraced Jacobitism. The violence of the Whigs forced them into the arms of the pretender, according to the book by, Jar by John L. Roberts. Therefore, James Edward Stuart, the son of James II, knew that his time to recapture the throne for the House of Stuart was now. A Scottish Earl, known as the Earl of Mar, who was previously the Secretary of State for Scotland under Queen Anne's government, was the leader of the 1715 Jacobite Revolt. The Earl believed that he would continue his post under George I, but the Whigs won the election, and the Earl was out of a job. The Earl organized a, quote, deer hunt on August 27, 1715, but it was actually a council for war for the Jacobite leaders. It was decided that the Jacobites would begin the rebellion on September 6, 1715. Also, they were called Jacobites because they were the supporters of James Edward Stuart, and Latin for James is Jacobus. The Jacobites then began to raise an army against the government of King George I. It was estimated that roughly 30,000 men were raised under the banner of James Edward Stuart, compared to only 10,000 men who supported George. The core area of recruitment for the men of the Jacobite cause was the Catholic areas in the Scottish Highlands. The Hanoverians were low on volunteers for their forces and had to recruit 6,000 Dutch soldiers. If numbers alone won battles, the Jacobites would have easily swept King George's forces off the field. So, the Earl of Mar began to march south to Perth in the western highlands of Scotland. In the Scottish capital, Edinburgh, the commander for the Hanoverians, the Duke of Argyle, was outnumbered and had poorly trained and equipped soldiers. He begged for the troops on September 21st, only 15 days after the rebellion began, by writing, quote, His Majesty's ministers still persist to think this matter a jest, 
and that we are in a condition to put a stop to it. Give me leave to say, sir, that if all of us who have honor to serve his majesty here are not either knaves nor cowards, we ought to be believed when we tell you that this country is in the extremest danger. The Earl of Mar captured Perth on September 14th. Mar continued to gain reinforcements when he captured Perth. However, he just sat there and sat there. He waited six weeks in Perth before making any decisive maneuvering while Argyle was setting up defenses in Stirling. There were multiple earls and lords of Scotland who contributed to the rebellion. This is including the famous George Keith, the 10th Earl Marischal, who contributed 300 cavalrymen and 500 infantry against King George I. We are definitely going to hear much more about the Keiths later on in this podcast, and they deserve episodes of their own. Only on October 16th did the Earl of Mar's army advance down from Perth. However, on the 17th, the very next day, he decided to pull all of his forces back to Perth. Mar said that it was because Argyle had stripped the land of any food, so the Jacobite army had nothing to live off of. Once again, logistics decides the course of a campaign and the strategy of a commander. While the Jacobites under the Earl of Mar continued to lose their advantage of numbers and initiative, another event was occurring further south. Parliament issued a warrant for Tory MP of Northumberland, whose name was Thomas Forrester. He escaped government forces and led English Jacobites in rebellion on October 6, 1715. The strategy was that the English Jacobites would unite with Highlander units from the north at Kelso, which was just north of the English border. Once the army united there, they waited for four days and gave the government forces in support of King George I a chance to mobilize against the Jacobites. An army under Lieutenant General George Carpenter was advancing an army of over a thousand men against the Jacobites at Kelso. The Jacobites had two different ideas of how to move forward. They could attack Carpenter's army and consolidate power in Scotland and then invade England, or they could invade England quickly while picking up soldiers along the way sympathetic to the cause and advance to the port of Liverpool. At Liverpool, they could be supplied by French ships. They decided to advance directly on England on October 27th, and they crossed the border into England on October 31st, 1715. They had marched all the way to Lancaster on November 7th, and they entered Preston on November 10th. This was a distance of 260 miles, or 418 kilometers. The Jacobites were obviously tired after marching all the way to Preston, and stopped short of Liverpool for a night of adult beverages. As the Jacobite forces rested, the Hanoverian forces began to surround the town of Preston. Thomas Forster began to regret his decision not to advance on Liverpool when he discovered, with a very massive headache, that he was surrounded. The Hanoverian army began to assault the Jacobite positions, and the Jacobites managed to hold off the first attack on November 13th, which is my birthday. 
On November 14th, Thomas Forster negotiated with the Hanoverian commander about the surrender of the Jacobite forces. The terms were unconditional. The Jacobite army would later surrender that day. Further north, events looked just as grim for the Jacobites. Government forces continued to grow as Jacobites stayed in Perth. On November 12th, government forces led by Argyle advanced north to capture the heights of Sheriffmuir. By this point, the Jacobite army still outnumbered Argyle, but the forces there were squabbling. Also on November 12th, the Jacobite army advanced on Dunblane from their camp at Auchterer. On November 13th, the 1715, the two armies would meet on the high grounds of Sheriffmuir. At 8 a.m., the Earl of Mar discovered the Hanoverian cavalry south of his positions at Sheriffmuir. However, he did nothing for three hours. History has changed because of delays such as these. After this, the Jacobites sprang into action. And by that, I mean utter confusion. The Highlanders were advancing incredibly fast uphill against the Hanoverians, while somehow George Keith's cavalry ended up in the center of the Jacobite lines. Argyle's left wing was unprepared for the attack and broke after a furious Highlander charge. However, on Argyle's right wing, the Hanoverians absorbed the Jacobite attack and pushed them back with a violent cavalry charge. However, Argyle didn't know that his left wing had collapsed. Argyle had roughly a thousand men left, while the Jacobites had about 4,000. Mar had a perfect opportunity to give one last attack to defeat Argyle, yet he did nothing. He did attack once more that day, but the opportunity was lost, and the battle was a tactical draw. However, the battle had broken the back of the Jacobite army. James Edward Stuart landed at Peterhead two days before Christmas on December 23, 1715, yet the Jacobite cause was lost by then. The old pretender then left Great Britain for Avignon in the Pope's territory to live out his days as a political failure. He would live until 1766 with no further attempts to give him the throne of Great Britain. Many of the earls and nobility of Scotland would go on to the continent in exile, such as Earl Marischal George Keith. Many Jacobite forces would fight throughout Europe's armies as foreign auxiliaries. So, what was the overall impact of this episode on this podcast? Well, this context sets up further drama on the British Isles as the Jacobite movement might be back. It may seem dead at the moment. However, I believe we may see our Jacobite friends in a future episode. The Glorious Revolution deposed the Stuart family and led to the electors of Hanover to simultaneously rule Great Britain and Hanover. This would further tie Britain to the matters of the continent. The Glorious Revolution also began a principle of parliamentary sovereignty, which means that the Parliament has the supreme legal authority to make laws, whereas monarchs of Britain do not. 
This idea would make Britain one of the most, if not the most, democratic states in Europe at the time. Was there still corruption and scandal? I mean, lots of it. But the Whigs taking over power in Parliament did make some progress, even if it was rather slow. I believe I shall have to leave you here. William of Orange took England from the Stuarts in the Glorious Revolution. Britain became involved in multiple wars against France. And of course, the Jacobite Rising of 1715. This will all lead us to one of the weirdest causes of a war in history. The War of Jenkins' Ear. But this will be for next month's episode. As I've been talking about the Scottish so much in today's episode, I will conclude today's episode in Scottish Gale. Therefore, I say to you, Martian Lake.